Hello. Hello. And welcome to another episode of Tacos and Tequila. I'm Peyton. I'm Sydney. And I would say we have a very sad case today. <laughs> Extremely sad. Uh, I literally was just telling Sydney before I hit record, I slightly regret picking this case. Not because, like, I think the story absolutely should get told. And I did know it previously. It was just, like, going into it and diving into it again. I think it was just really heavy. I told Sydney I had to put, like, time limits on myself <laughs> to, like, okay, I'm just going to read and, like, do my research for 20, 30 minutes, and then I'll come back to it because I just couldn't do it all at once right now. I don't know. I don't know why. Maybe it's because I'm pregnant and emotional. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's definitely an emotional case. It's definitely very heavy. I would say that there was a couple pieces that were kind of tearjerkers for myself, and I am not pregnant. So, that makes me feel better. I'm already emotional sometimes, so, like, adding the pregnancy, I was like, is this it? Is this is this the thing that's setting me over the edge right now? No, I don't think so. It's definitely an emotional <laughs> case. We could use your pregnancy as an excuse, though, if okay. you want. Okay, we'll use it as an excuse. <laughs> uh, I don't think there are any other updates or anything else to add before we dive right in, right? No, give it a go. Okay. Thanksgiving is usually a day to be thankful, reflect on the good things in your life, and be grateful for your loved ones. Unfortunately, in 2010, things would not play out that way for the Skelton family, who was on the verge of divorce, or for their three young boys, who would go missing within 24 hours of Thanksgiving. The investigation that would ensue happened quickly with many law enforcement agencies spanning across a state border and still leaving way more questions than answers. Tanya Zuvers, I'm guessing that's how you say her last name, and John Skelton were going through a divorce in the fall of 2010. Tanya had just filed in September. Their relationship had already been rocky and strained, but the final straw for Tanya was when John took their three young sons on an unplanned trip to Florida to visit his mother without Tanya's permission. John had gone to the school and signed out all the boys and left for Florida, prompting Tanya to officially file for divorce finally. Their three boys were Andrew, who was nine, Alexander, seven, and Tanner, five. Divorce proceedings can sometimes be lengthy, and in the meantime, there was custody of the boys to determine to figure out how to proceed. Originally, the judge granted full custody to Tanya after learning of the trip to Florida. However, Tanya and John worked out a visitation schedule so he could still see the boys. I also feel like this is very common. I know, like, personally, when my parents got divorced, there was, like, a visitation schedule set up, and I think my dad was going to see us every other weekend. I'm sure he'll text me when he hears this. Uh, but, like, he was basically like, look, that's a not enough. And outside of court, my parents agreed, like, he would see us every weekend. So I do feel like it's very common for when parents who, you know, want the other parent to be involved work out some sort of visitation. It was, like, kind of calming or relieving to Tanya that things during visitations continued to run smoothly after that. So 
things weren't, you know, abnormal. He wasn't trying to, like, abduct the boys and go across state lines again. So she decided to let the boys spend Thanksgiving with their father. The plan was to drop them off on Wednesday, November 24th, and pick them up on Friday, November 26th at 3 p.m. That is exactly what Tanya did. She dropped the boys off at their home in Morency, Michigan, that the couple had once shared, and that's where John was still living. Morency is a small town. Uh, we've talked about small towns on here before. Population of 2,200, so not a lot. They described it definitely as a town uh, where everyone knew everyone. And that is according to the 2010 census. So, like, at this time, there's 22. 100 people roughly in that area and it's actually the most southern city in Michigan it shares a border with Ohio so I kind of said in the beginning you know across the state border so Michigan and Ohio are literally right there uh kind of makes it interesting as the story goes on so now comes Friday Tanya is supposed to pick up the boys and she has not heard from John, and as the day goes on, she's getting very worried. He's not answering any of her calls or texts, and so she heads over, and John's not home. With the previous history John had of obviously abducting the kids without her permission, which is technically considered abduction when it's parental kidnapping, she wasted no time in calling the police. Immediately calling 911, she reported her son's missing. And sometimes we see in those missing persons cases, police, like, don't react right away. And that was not the case here. They immediately got involved, immediately issued an Amber Alert for the three boys, listing John's car, so hoping anyone would see it. And they were questioning John as fast as they could once they could find him. They also searched John's home. They noted that the boys were not there, but the home was a complete wreck, they said. John would be found in a hospital after hurting his ankle. In the hospital, he told the medical staff that he hurt his ankle with a suicide attempt that he had failed. So, obviously, this does put him on, like, a mental health hold um, and observance, so that would hinder the investigation a little bit as well. But he did speak with the investigators beforehand. He told the investigators that he decided he could not wait for the boys to leave before he killed himself. And he did not want them to be there when he did it. So he gave the boys to his friend, Joanne Taylor. He claimed he met Joanne one time, only one time, when he was working as a truck driver several years prior. And he had helped her and her husband when their car was broken down on the side of the road. So this Good Samaritan Act turned into him maintaining a friendly relationship, supposedly with the couple, keeping in contact via email. They supposedly lived in either Jackson or Hillside counties, which was about Jackson, Michigan's about an hour away from this area, 45 minutes, but he couldn't provide a phone number or an address for this woman. Mind you, this is 2010. So like, my senior year of high school, <laughs> we had smartphones. <laughs> yes, yes. Thank you for mentioning that. I also like the, they kept in contact via email. I mean, I, that's not uncommon, but like you guys don't text or like talk on the phone. 
Correct. Like that's I, like snail mail still. <laughs> and I do feel it's a little like questionable. Like this is a good Samaritan act. You met these people one time on the side of the road and you're like, hey, let's keep in contact. Here's my email address. But also just, I mean, I guess I wouldn't say it's out of the ordinary for people like that to keep in contact because some people just, that's what they choose to do, I guess. But I'm thinking like a one per the one time you met them and this is the person you call to watch your kids. You don't know. Correct. There's no one else you could call. No one. Not like a neighbor, anyone close by. You couldn't call their mom, which I guess yeah. we'll get into that later. But at the time, his story seemed very questionable. And honestly, right away, the investigators were like, eh, I think you're lying, John. They really couldn't find any proof that this woman existed at this point in time. So they decided they were going to continue to look for anyone who can provide information on John's whereabouts on Thursday and Friday. They specifically narrowed it down between the hours of 4 a.m. to 7 a.m. on Friday. There were a couple neighbors who spotted two of the boys playing in John's backyard on Thursday afternoon. So we know the boys were definitely there. Uh, and alive up to this point, but there were no sightings of them after this. Uh, If you're like me, you're probably wondering about that time frame and how they got there. I'm going to get to that in a little bit. I just want you to keep that in mind because I know I don't like super mention it right now. (laughs) The police were immediately launching into searches in Michigan and Ohio, anywhere they thought that John might have taken the children. The FBI also got involved right from the start, as well as both state and local law enforcement groups. Again, mind you, they're in the border of Michigan and Ohio, so it's both Michigan State Troopers and Ohio as well. So (laughs) there are a lot of law enforcement agencies involved. The National Center for Missing and Exploited Children also sent experts into, like, the area to help with grid searches and when I tell you that there were hundreds of local residents that volunteered in the search, I mean, upwards of 500 people in the area were searching and putting their lives on hold for this next week, searching for these boys. The next week was described as a blur in ongoing searches as basically, like I said, all those in the community where the boys lived were helping the law enforcement officials. It was quickly becoming apparent that this story would not have a happy ending that they were hoping for. There was not a single clue found pointing to where the boys might be located. In the meantime, investigators were looking heavily into John. They were convinced he had killed them possibly and disposed of their bodies on Friday morning, but he wasn't cooperating at all. He kept insisting that he had given the boys to Joanne Taylor despite it being obvious that this person did not exist. And John's family also stood by and believed his story. The police were granted access to John's email accounts and his internet searches, and they were able to confirm no Joanne Taylor existed. There was no one he maintained a relationship with via email. So, Obviously, the story is definitely a lie, and now they have the proof for that. Sketch. Yes. I do want to sorry. No, go ahead. I do want to say, though, um, like, that little tidbit, 
made me think a lot of like the Casey Anthony case where like the nanny, like Zanny the nanny, um, was oh. the one that had the kids. And then it turns out like that this person doesn't exist. And that was like a link that I thought. It's very ironic too because I just listened what like two weeks ago to a week yeah. and a half ago to another episode on like the Casey Anthony case. I was texting Sydney like, "Did you hear the 911 call? Because I heard the recording for the first time." And not to get sidetracked on the Casey Anthony case where they reported her daughter missing, and I was like, "Gross! Like fucking gross! Never heard it before." infuriated all again but now that you made this connection <laughs> it's similar it we it is so we can, similar we could talk about it later though too but like that piece was like the beginning for me where I was like that's a weird similarity like there's other cases out Very there weird. sure where they're like oh this person has a child or this person did it and then there's it turns out later there's no connection to that person or they don't exist or xyz but, like, right off the bat that he was so adamant that these are the people that have the kid, and Casey Anthony was the same thing. Like, Zanny the nanny has the kid, and it's like, who the fuck is this lady? Like, she doesn't exist. It's just super weird. It is super weird, and I honestly did not put two and two together to that connection when I was doing this research. So, thank you, because I'm sure we'll yes. have a lot of other things we can point out. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes. So, even more jarring than, obviously, this Joanne Taylor not existing is that in the internet searches, John, in the previous week, had Googled and searched how to break someone's neck and poisoning online, claiming it was something his sons asked him to look up after a movie they watched. But, like, don't... Keep in mind, they're five, seven, and nine. So... Yeah. On Tuesday, November 30th, John was finally deemed mentally well enough to be discharged from the mental health facility in Ohio where he was being held. And upon his release, he was immediately arrested by the FBI and charged with three counts of parental kidnapping. John refused to waive his extradition back to Michigan, which, by the way, was literally just a short car ride from where he was being held. I looked it up. Lucas County is uh, Toledo, Ohio, and Toledo's like not even an hour, I guess, depending on where you are, from the city he was in. <laughs> so he refused to waive extradition and therefore had to be judged, um, jailed in Ohio pending a formal hearing, and a judge ordered his bail to be held at $3 million. So quite high. On December 3rd, a week later, after the boys were last seen, the search would officially come to a halt. An anonymous donor offered a $10,000 reward for any information pointing authorities to the location of the boys, but it was clear the police knew John was the person that could give them that. Unfortunately, John maintained he did not hurt the boys, but he would not tell anyone where they were at all. I think this is I think this is the part where I got the most disgusted, so I'm very sorry, y'all. Uh, John's own parents visited him while he was being held, and afterwards, they told reporters that they 100% believed their son, and they just knew their grandsons were safe. 
Taking it a step further, John's mom even went, to t went as far to tell reporters that she was proud of her son for taking the boys away from their mother, even though the courts at this time found Tanya to be the more fit and stable parent in the first place for custody. So, pretty fucking gross, in my opinion. <laughs> Another week later, John would finally decide to waive the extradition so there was no formal hearing, and he was taken back to Michigan where a judge then decided to hold him on a $30 million bond while waiting for the trial. On December 16th, John finally told investigators his story about Joey and Taylor was false. I literally put in my notes, in all caps, obviously, and I hope his family felt fucking dumb for vocally supporting him <laughs> being right. Dead ass what I wrote yeah. in my notes, in all caps. <laughs> yeah. I definitely get, like, wanting to be on, like, your family side, but, like, there's some levels to that and I think when there's people missing or you know something just doesn't make sense like that's a level that you just don't go to it's also worse because those boys are so young yeah I I'm reading this and I told Jacob this little part and I looked him and I said I just want to be something be very clear if this ever happened I would never speak to your family again Ever. <laughs> like, if they have the audacity to be like, oh, I'm proud that he took them away from his, their mother. That's your grandson, too. Your grandsons. And the youngest is five. Yeah. And you would and also think that they would be, like, more worried about where the fuck are these kids? Like, are, are they safe? Like, are they, like, I don't. Just because you're being told they're safe doesn't necessarily mean they're safe. Like, unless you're correct. coming, you're able to go and visit them and see what's actually going on and the environment they're staying in, then, you know, yeah, maybe you can say and vouch and they are safe. I'm glad they were taken out of that situation. But you're saying this and you haven't even seen them. Correct. So that's what I have a big issue with. And you pointed out the Casey Anthony. We'll take it right back there. Her parents are also very supportive of her the whole time. Yeah. Uh, and so that was connection. like, that just like, it kind of made me, it put a very bad taste in my mouth. And I think I would have understood maybe saying like, we believe our son. We under, we think these boys are safe, like wanting to talk to the public like that. But then to take it even further and be like, oh, well, we're glad he took them away from their mother. Like, I'm sorry, but that's, we'll get into John's claims later about why he wanted them away from his, their mother. Um, but like, I'm just going to say now his claims are very baseless and, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I think if you don't like have proof for accusations like that, it's, it's kind of fucking gross. Anyways, John's new story <laughs> is that he had given his sons to someone in a secret organization who showed up at his home on Thanksgiving Day. John was not able to identify the person nor the organization they were allegedly involved with. So, obviously, investigators did not believe this story either because why would you just hand your kids over to a group you don't know? The Jehovah's so. Witnesses come knocking <laughs> on your door. And Here you like, go. Oh, take my kids. <laughs> yeah. No, I have no money to give you, but I can give you my kids. Like, what? Literally. At this point, 
John is pending uh, his trial on the parental kidnapping charges, and the couple were still going through their divorce proceedings. So, at a divorce he- hearing, John yet again refused to answer any questions pertaining to his children, and he insisted they were safe. At one point in time, he even yelled out to Tanya in the courtroom during their divorce proceedings, Why aren't you wearing your ring, hun?" <laughs> again, wrote in my notes, fucking gross. <laughs> weird, weird flex, but okay. Yeah, so, like, definitely um, not a good look that you're the one, like, being investigated for your children's disappearance and you're being, like, I don't know, not even not composed. Like, I think he's just being a little unhinged. Yeah, it's a good word for it. So, 2011 officially comes and there is no update any further, no more leads, and they are no closer to finding the boys. On January 28th, there was another divorce hearing, and John yet again insisted he could not turn the children over, but they were safe. At this point in time, detectives had followed up on more than 900 tips, which is a lot. And they were no closer to finding the boys, so they honestly really doubted their safety. On February 1st, a press conference was held where investigators announced the case of the missing Skelton brothers was now officially considered a homicide investigation. The Marinci police chief even admitted that although they were still searching for the boys, he felt that there was no hope in finding them safe, which is like very gut wrenching for like not only like the investigators and the community, but for the family. That's devastating. John, who is the primary and really only suspect at this point in time, would change his story yet again. (laughs) And I don't think we're very surprised by that, but he stated that he had left the boys with a group called United Foster Outreach and mentioned another group called Underground Sanctuaries. However, investigators could not prove the existence of either of these groups. I Googled them. Did you Google them? I didn't Google them. Yeah, literally the only thing that comes up are other organizations with, like, underground or sanctuaries or, like, one word in that name Mm -hmm. and articles on this case. That's it. (laughs) And, like, if you're some sort of outreach program, you would have some way to search who you are. I'm sure the investigators didn't just use Google, but you know what I mean? (laughs) There'd be a website or a Facebook page or some sort of contact. So, it's important to add that John was claiming the boys were being accused by Tanya, and that that is his reason behind this. So, as I said, these accusations have never been proven, and in fact, there's zero evidence to support these claims by John. I will say I did look this up also and tried to dig a little deeper. Supposedly, in like 1998, Tanya had some sort of... I don't think it was like an, it it was some sort of charge against her. Uh, I don't remember what she was actually charged with because I didn't even write it down. To be honest, I couldn't find it any more than like two articles had mentioned it. And I tried to look her up and I couldn't get any further on it. Um, But it was having to do with some sort of relationship with a minor who was a boy of 14. Uh, Based off her age, she would have been in her 30s at that time. 
with what I'm finding now, but also don't really know if that's accurate because that would have put her in her late 40s with these kids. And that's, it's kind of old to have kids. So not to knock anyone who has kids older, but I'm just saying it's, it didn't seem to add up with the information I was um, finding. So that's why I didn't like go into depth on this because these claims by John, I couldn't find anywhere else. Like there were zero investigations into this. There were zero child protective services cases or cases or investigations I could find. And I know that doesn't necessarily mean it wasn't happening. So I just want to clarify that. But like there was nothing pointing into this is what was actually happening. So again, I can understand his parents wanting to be like, oh, well, good thing he kept him away. But like if you know someone's character and I would assume you would know your your husband's wife and like the mother of your grandchildren. I I just can't imagine making that comment. You know what I mean? (laughs) Maybe that's just me, but clearly his family must have not liked her. I don't know. Yeah, it's a little off. I don't know. Something doesn't add up there. A hundred percent. Because again, (laughs) they had a custody hearing prior to the divorce proceedings and if john made those accusations then in court they would have been investigated heavily the boys would have been interviewed they would have they would have been held somewhere else for at least 40 to 72 hours prior to you know resolving that investigation so (laughs) to me either he didn't make the accusations to anyone or they're not true and that's what he's using now as his justification yeah, that makes sense. In my in my personal mind, at least that's how I see it. There could be other options. I'm just saying my personal opinion. <laughs> By the end of February, John was officially charged with additional counts of kidnapping and unlawful imprisonment, which raised his bail to $90 million. <laughs> so John's not going anywhere. On June 2nd, Tanya and John were officially divorced. Uh Kind of heart-wrenching, the judge awarded Tanya full custody of the three boys. John remarked if Tanya was awarded full custody in quotes, the boys won't be available to either of us. It's not in my control. Uh, Again, in my notes, fucking gross. Like, I don't know, your sons are missing. Yeah. The summer of 2011 quickly approaches and is, you know, running its course, and the Marenzi Police Department decided to join together with a TV station out of Toledo, Ohio, again, it's about an hour away, to produce some sort of PSA, hoping to bring out new information. They even upped the reward and offered $60,000 for new viable leads, obviously, and nothing would really come from this either. Just to clarify, leads and tips had been coming in. So it's not like, oh, nothing comes from this. It's nothing viable and nothing that proved to be true or get them any closer to finding those boys. Then on July 28th, 2011, in a turn of events, John officially pled no contest to charges of unlawful imprisonment of the three boys. John was adamant that his no contest was not an admission of guilt but that it was a plea deal, so the kidnapping charges would not be charged against him, only the unlawful imprisonment. 
However, <laughs> this deal did not prevent future charges from being brought forward if any other evidence or information were to come out. On September 15th, John would be officially sentenced and he would get 10 to 15 years in prison on the unlawful imprisonment charges. The judge ruled that the crime was so horrendous that they actually exceeded the standard sentencing guidelines and sentenced him to the maximum amount of time. The standard sentencing, just so you know, was anywhere from 43 to 86 months, so like roughly seven years max. However, <laughs> the judge sentenced obviously for the maximum allowed for this charge. You don't really see that very often. So I wanted to include it. Uh, I thought that was a nice piece of information and a little satisfying when you hear these cases where someone gets basically charged with something and it's a slap on the wrist. So many times it's a slap on the wrist. So many times. And it's like disappointing. Yeah. Not even so, just to like to the family, but like to the public too, to see like people can get away with that kind of stuff. Yeah, so it was very nice to see that, like, he was being so held somewhat responsible, even if they didn't have enough proof uh, of more. So, John and his legal team obviously ob objected the harsh sentence. Uh, he even now tried to claim he never tried to commit suicide, even, which was weird. Uh, just like the rest of his ever-changing story, he had new claims now that he never willingly handed the boys over, that someone from the organization showed up and took the boys as an intervention to keep them away from Tanya. Again, that would make it seem like he had made these accusations against her previously. And like I said, I have not found anything heavily investigating or substantiating his accusations at all. John has continuously maintained that he had no idea where the boys were and he would not know until his release from prison. He added that if he was never released, no one would ever see them again. So that's great. John was held in the Bellamy Creek Correctional Facility in Iowa, Ionia, Michigan, almost said it wrong, with a release date of 2025. Since he was sentenced, he has been up for parole several times now. In 2020, so just a couple years ago, he was denied his parole for the first time, and originally it was determined his next parole hearing would be in 2022. However, he was then up for parole a year earlier in August of 2021. I guess there was something based off the sentencing guidelines that he should be reviewed every 12 months. Lucky for us, <laughs> uh, John was denied parole yet again because he declined to even be interviewed by the parole board. Uh, from what I understand, there was no explanation of why he denied to be interviewed. He was just denied. And his next time he'd be eligible for parole will be in this year. I think they said in August or November or something like that. I don't know when his interview would take place, but it would be, be soon. Since the unlawful imprisonment sentence, the search for the brothers has continued. Detectives eventually re revealed some big information um, since John was sentenced that was not previously known to the public. One of, us, one of these pieces of information was that they were able to track a lot of John's movements Friday morning due to his cell phone records, which is kind of how they narrowed down that time frame. 
uh, that the public was just kind of wondering, like, how the heck did they figure out that time? Uh, his phone was at home at 4.19 a.m. on Friday morning, but it was officially on the move by 4.23. At 5.02, John's phone was just northeast of Holiday City, Ohio, and then the phone was turned off. And no further tracking tracking was on there until 6.46 a.m. when his phone would be back in his home and turned back on. John argues that he has never gone to or never went to Ohio that morning, saying his phone must have been there, but it must have not been with him at home. (laughs) Actually, his exact explanation was that at one point in time, his phone went missing and then it just magically appeared back at his house. <laughs> that is literally what he told investigators. So obviously just, they were like, eh, don't believe you, sir. My phone must have went to Ohio by itself. Huh. What a thought. It just magically showed back up. Weird. Just went on a little morning adventure and came back by itself. <laughs> literally. Um, that's how like I said, that's how the investigators came up with that time period. They believe that's likely when John disposed of the boys' bodies. In late 2017, a box of teeth and bone fragments were found in a shed in Missoula, Montana. I have no idea. I don't know if you got on this train about this Montana box of bones. But I have no idea how they possibly thought, like, oh, maybe this is this is the brother's. Like, that's a far distance to me. Yeah, I never, I didn't look into that. I saw, like, uh, one article on it and kind of read into that, but I never really went off of that. Because I guess in my head, the assumption was just, like, since it was, like, a box of bones and, like, there was multiples, that then they just look at cases where it's, like, multiple people went missing at the same time. Or, like, multiple children if they decided that it was kids' and bones. And I think, but, I was going to say, I think that someone had decided based off the teeth, it was, like, three separate children and three different mm-hmm. age groups and the age groups fit the skeleton brothers. So they were hopeful that like maybe they had some answers. However, forensic analysis was completed and it was actually determined the bones were like a hundred plus years old. So obviously like that ruled it out. But again, I just wanted to mention it because there are a lot of articles on that. And like there I said, was, I had no was. idea why they were connected. They were extremely hopeful. They were like, we have nothing. Let's just get the media on this so we have something. In May of 2019, news broke of another lead in the case. A tipster finally contacted police claiming she saw a man fitting John's description, both his physical description and his car description, at a pond in Ohio just over the border on Thanksgiving Day in 2010. However, they searched the body of water and the surrounding woods, and no discoveries have ever come from that either. To this day, nothing additional has been found to point us in the direction of anything more concrete in locating the Skeleton Brothers. And that's the case. (laughs) Do you have anything to add? So I don't have anything, like, additional to add to what happened. But I want to go back and talk about his so-called suicide attempt or him having problems with his leg. Because that is something that, to me, like, I can't understand, like, what went wrong there. Like, 
was that like I want to know more about that injury and there's nothing out there like so I don't know here's kind of where I sit (laughs) I think that that could have been two different things I think maybe that was the plan the whole time uh like as a distraction that it wasn't even a suicide attempt it was a I'm gonna hurt myself so that way I'm not here well, I think maybe it was the plan the whole time to actually kill himself, and he didn't. Okay, okay, okay. After whatever he had unfortunately done to the boys, because I am a firm believer he is the cause of their disappearance. <laughs> oh, yeah, uh, I don't absolutely. think there's any other evidence that points to anything else. No. Uh, and this isn't a movie. Like, I think it's very rare that, like, there's a secret organization and like all this stuff. No one's ever come forward. That would have been like a foster organization or sanctuary for missing children to be like, well, okay. But like (laughs) the United outreach foster program, (laughs) they would have contacted investigators. You know what I mean? They wouldn't be wanting something illegal is what I'm saying. Like they would have should ideally if it was not a secret. If it was a a legitimate program, yes, they absolutely would have been like he gave his children up or he signed the papers X, Y, Z. But if it was like some sort of illegal situation, then no, we'd probably never know. Okay. Yes. I agree with that. So I'm assuming maybe a, a legal organization. Uh, so, but anyways, <laughs> I'm a firm believer it's it's John. So I think in my mind there's two options. Actually, three. I'm going to say there's three options. So one, maybe it was a plan the whole time to do, unfortunately, get rid of the boys and then kill himself. And then he failed. But then my question would be, why have you spent all of this time in prison alive and you didn't follow through unless he had a change of heart so I'm not really like sold on that idea I think like you said it could have been a distraction like I it could have been a very like part of his excuse I guess I don't I don't know uh and then my third option is he could have done it out of guilt That maybe he had this plan and then he actually followed through on this plan and then was overwhelmed with how he was feeling and attempted suicide and failed miserably because maybe deep down he didn't really want to die. And then realized that. And so that's why he's never actually, like, tried it again. True. Those are are all valid. Or, like, if somehow, you know, he was, like, one of the kids, like, fighting back was injured him. Or when he was, I mean, if he disposed of the bodies or something like that, if he injured himself digging a hole or doing something like that. I don't know. I feel like there's a number of things that it could have been. But I feel like just it's brought up in all the articles. You know, he's in the hospital. He broke his leg or had an an ankle issue or broke his ankle, whatever it was. And then it's like, okay, that's all. (laughs) And I do, I think, I appreciate you bringing this up because I do think it's strange that your only issue in attempting suicide and there being a noose and all that stuff is that it was an ankle injury. No one ever commented on, like, marks on his neck or anything. 
No, and I think that's what I kind of thought was sketched too. Like, if it was a suicide attempt, what were you really, what were you doing that you broke your ankle and that was it? There wasn't any other issues that you had going on. I think that's a good point. I think that's uh, a very interesting way to, like, look at it to just, like, that angle. Like, uh, what the heck is going on with the suicide attempt? (laughs) Because I do think it's just kind of, like, mentioned and then brushed past and everything. (laughs) I think that's why it bothered me so much. Because it's usually, like, the the little weird, like, they, they make sure to include these little pieces of information in articles and it's like this for like every single case I feel like they'll include some piece of information and they'll be like yeah he was in the hospital okay but why you have to tell me more like you can't just leave it at that and like I understand in a lot of the circumstances they don't know anything more so there's nothing else they can tell you but then it's like I have a lot of questions on that one piece of information like you're just telling me the same things over and over I need to know more on this one thing come on why aren't you sharing it but they don't probably know so that's probably why it is but I 100% agree, actually. (laughs) So I think that's an interesting way to look at it. And then I will say just, you know, full circle comparing it against Casey Anthony. The biggest difference, obviously, he faced some sort of charges, even if they couldn't uh, link it completely. I do think that's a big deal. And I'm glad they got him on something. It's true. Yeah. And there's, it was, it is interesting though. And like you said, you didn't kind of make that comparison at first, but like, there are a lot of weird pieces that I feel like are linked, like the fake figures, you know, the lies that come with it, the family feeling so strong about it. Um, I mean, obviously there wasn't like a, she had a relationship, but I don't think that really was a key piece. Like she wasn't going through a divorce or anything of that nature, but there's just some weird little connections that I got there. I agree. And to stay, have, like, they've, I guess, kept their innocence or kept their no yes, contest with it the entire, yeah. Maintain that, yes. It's interesting. Because that is, like, part of my, like, fun fact was basically just, like, he has maintained his innocence this entire time. He has not changed that part is that the boys are safe, is what he keeps mm-hmm. saying. Mm-hmm. This is rather interesting. Yeah. Thank you for uh, pointing that out. I didn't know that or p- catch that. Uh, again, very sorry. It was a little heavier of a case than I was planning on doing, I guess. I don't know. It's been on my list forever. It's a big Michigan case. I know the case. I've uh, never heard of it. So I like the ones that I've never heard of because I'm like, this is crazy. And like, you're not that wild. far away. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> yeah, it's it's wild. Like I said, I know the case. I've looked into it before, too. And uh, they did cover it. They've covered it on a couple things. I think the biggest one was like on HLN show, Real Life Nightmare, I wrote down, uh, mm-hmm. which I think is also a little harder because. I don't think the HLN network gets as much like true crime watches. No, I don't <laughs> so, think so. They play I some d- of the, they play some of those ones on. Sorry, cut you off. They play some of those ones on like Oxygen though. I think now. Oh, do they? Mm-hmm. Huh. Like I don't. Yeah, think I didn't just, even look um, it up to see if I could find it. To be honest, but yeah, 
he's done multiple interviews from prison and stuff too. And he like maintains his innocence the whole time. So Mm -hmm. I did watch like a a piece of a news brief and I was like, I can't watch this anymore. It just kind of made me like feel a little sick to my stomach. So I'm like, I can't watch this. Yeah. I don't know. I really don't know why it got to me so much, but I ha- I think it's just something to do with, like, the fact that he he was just so cold and had, like, no concern whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Oh, my kids are safe. It's fine. Like, <laughs> I don't, he I don't know. He convinced himself at I, this point that's that they're safe. I think he's convinced that this is really, his stories are true. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's, it's sad. Extremely sad. And it's tragic when people do that. They were very cute, sweet-looking little boys. The age progression pictures really sent me. Because they'd be grown adults now. I mean, it's it's 12 years later. So the youngest would have been 17 now. Uh, The progression pictures will definitely have to... They'll be on the Instagram and Facebook. But... It's crazy because they have, like, so many. So, like, when they were at yep. this age and then a little bit older and now where they'd be now. Like, it's not like there's just one or two pictures. I feel like there was, like, four or five. Yeah, there were a lot of options. <laughs> okay. Well, now that I'm done with this case because I don't ever want to do research on this again. Um, unless, I guess, there are updates. Then I will look into it. But just took a lot out of me (laughs) do you have jokes and facts for us or what (laughs) of course I do thank god (laughs) let's Uh, go fact first okay so national guacamole day is September 16th which is also the same day as Mexican independence day interesting I'm not sure. I'm not sure how they ended up on the same day, but I wonder if it's on purpose. I don't know. I was trying to figure that out, but I couldn't get deep enough information, so I'm not 100% positive. I mean, I I feel like some of those holidays they just pick a day, (laughs) and that's kind of what I was thinking too. I don't really know how they come up with the national days. They just like get thrown out there. Like, here's a random day that works. Everyone now eat guacamole today. Here you go. Pick this day. Yeah, like they put it in almost like a. I'm picturing like one of those bingo things that flips, and they just oh pull God. it out, and it's like today. This day is September 16th. Woo! And everyone's like, "Yeah, this is great." That makes sense. I don't know if that's at all what happens. Like I but just if, want. To- if so, it's ironic that they're on the same day. Mm-hmm. And avocados mm-hmm. from Mexico. You know? (laughs) Avocados for Mexico. (laughs) All right. Hit me with a joke. I just want to, before I get started on this, the jokes are real rough nowadays. Um, (laughs) I got a review, personally. (laughs) Oh, God. Um, from my sister. Which one? I'm sure you can guess which one who told me that your jokes have been slacking lately. 
Is it Anya? Or is it it was Anya. <laughs> you know what, Anya? You're not funny anyway, so. <laughs> and I told her, look, I'm really sorry. It's rough out here right now. And you, we only have so many jokes. And she said, well, maybe you should go back and start reusing jokes or something. I don't know what to tell you. And I was like, okay, thank you. Maybe, maybe we should. <laughs> so I will also do some digging and see if I can find some links or something for funny jokes. Because... I was thinking, or we'll just have to, like, just, because, I mean, there's a million other jokes out there. They're just not all related to the topic that we're looking for. I think that's so, okay. Like, we can just get jokes that are Like a dad joke. Yeah. Like, we'll just have to switch the way that it's connected. Maybe we can do, like, ghost jokes then. Yeah. Or something. We'll we'll sidebar after this, but just so you know, folks, we've we've heard you. <laughs> we are evaluating how we proceed. Unless your name is Anya, we're listening to you. <laughs> Sorry, Anya. I'm not. <laughs> okay, hit me with the joke. <laughs> what did the jalapeno dress up as for Halloween? What? A ghost pepper. <laughs> Which I also think is funny because you said maybe we'll have to pick some ghost jokes, and I really wanted to say. <laughs> I actually really like that joke. That's do funny. you? <laughs> I think that's funny. Dead. <laughs> A ghost pepper. Oh, <laughs> he wants to be spicier. <laughs> trying to spice up his life. <laughs> he didn't have a spicy Halloween costume. I like that joke. Sorry if you guys don't. (laughs) Also, if you have links to funny dad jokes, ideally ones that fit true crime, ghosts, spooky things, tacos, and tequila. Tequila. I can't say it. Tequila. Tequila. I always just want to say tequila. No, not the actual alcoholic beverage. I don't know how to say it now. Tequila. (laughs) <laughs> See? <laughs> it feels weird, doesn't it? <laughs> it doesn't feel right. That is kind of strange. Um, but yeah, if it's linked to any of those items, feel free to give us suggestions and links on uh where we can find some joke dad jokes. I will be looking as well so we can hopefully stockpile here, Sid. <laughs> yes, we should absolutely do that. In the meantime, folks, you can find us on Facebook, Tacos and Tequila Podcast. On Instagram, it's just Tacos and Tequila. We have a website, Tacos and Tequila Podcast.com. You think I'd get it right eventually? I don't know. And if you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, make sure you leave a rating or review to help us get noticed and just see what you guys like. Yeah, it definitely helps podcasts like us uh, get some exposure. So greatly appreciated. And I think that's it. I think so. Sweet. Well, we will talk to you guys next week then. Bye. Bye. Ha 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 ha!